Well, uh, today on February 17, 2008, our lesson is to love rather than complain, and our text is Philippians 2, chapter 1 through 4, which reads as follows. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity and with boldness and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the lessons today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, an intelligent manner. Now, in our last lesson, we discussed the current cultural condition that encourages us to maintain adversarial relationships with our spouses. We maintain these adversarial relationships in our minds by complaining about our spouse. And to many, it seems that complaining is more compelling than complimenting when it comes to conversation in our concentric circle of contact and there is no one about whom we find it easier to complain than about our spouse. Now, Jesus had a special affinity for tax collectors. The tax collectors made their fortunes by collecting tax money from the Jews, siphoning off a percentage, and giving the remainder to the Romans. The tax collectors, although they were themselves Jews, were generally the most despised class of individuals in the culture, especially by the temple leaders. As the tax collectors increased the proportion of the disposable incomes that went to themselves and to the Romans, contributions to the temple decreased, and you can imagine how much the temple leaders appreciated that. Jesus' ministry, however, was not dependent upon the offerings given to the temple, and so he continued to befriend and minister to this particular segment of the Jewish population despite the criticism of the Jewish religious leaders. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 29 records, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. 
Now, what was the response of the Jewish leaders to the calling of and fellowship with the tax? Jesus is calling of and fellowship with the tax collectors. Luke 5 and 30 records, and the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, Jesus, never being at a loss for words, had the answer ready. Luke 5, 31 and 32 says, Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So in his response to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus makes it clear that in order to be part of his church, you must acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner. The self-righteous, like the scribes and Pharisees, find it difficult to intellectually participate in Christianity. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our acknowledgement of our own sinful nature and the fact that we have fallen short of God's standard is a prerequisite for truly becoming Christian. We should come seeking Jesus Christ weekly in an repentant state acknowledging our sinfulness and asking Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit to change our minds and our hearts. Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 21 tells us, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire for their own detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their heads, says the Lord. So although the Jewish leaders disdained the tax collectors, the tax collectors, being sinners, were actually part of Jesus' target audience. And Jesus did not just befriend the tax collectors, but he actually transformed them. Luke 19, one through six records, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, because he was of short stature. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Another tax collector in Jesus's camp. But listen to the Jewish leaders in Luke 19 and 7. But when they all saw it, when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now listen to Zacchaeus' response in Luke 19 and 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus pronounced Zacchaeus cleansed of his old ways, in Luke 19, 9 and 10, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Jesus did not come to die on the cross for the people who are already perfect. He came to seek and to save that which was lost and to cause sinners rather than the righteous to repentance. The Christian ministry is a ministry of inclusion, unity, and restoration to those who are in need of repentance, in need of deliverance from their sins, in need of help. The Jewish religious leaders thrived on keeping people divided. They classified people into different groups in the name of religion and then proclaimed some groups as righteous and other groups as sinners. Jesus came in the name of the same Jewish religious that, religion that they were practicing, but Jesus brought a ministry of reconciliation rather than division. Did the Jewish religious leaders embrace Jesus' wonderful change in perspective? No. Do you know what they did? Luke 5 and 30 and Luke 19 and 7 record, and the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But when they saw it, they all complained saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Jesus was saving souls, but they were complaining. They complained for the simple reason that they could not do anything else about what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not breaking any Jewish law, but Jesus was calling and causing people to repent and then adding them to the kingdom of God. That which Jesus was doing was certainly not wrong, but the Jewish leaders were jealous that Jesus' ministry was having more influence than theirs was having, so they found something in that which Jesus did about which to complain. And as I said at the beginning of the lesson, it seems that complaining is more compelling than complimenting when it comes to conversation to many in our concentric circle of contact. So for many people, being negative, looking for the dark side of things, and then complaining about them is a sport. But the Bible says that complaining is a serious sin. Psalm 106, 21 through 27 tells us, they forgot God their savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. They, therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen one stood before them in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he destroy them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations, to scatter them in the lands. So even the almighty God in heaven can't stand complaining. And as I previous mentioned, previously mentioned to you, my wife and I are trying to learn how to dance. Now, I was trained as a concert pianist when I was younger, and I know something about learning a physical skill. I know that the key to learning is developing muscle memory through practice. But my dance lessons are a little bit different than my piano lessons. You see, when I was learning piano, my teacher would have my parents buy a particular piece of sheet music. I would bring the music sheet to my lesson and the teacher would spend 30 minutes with me showing me what finger was supposed to go on what key on the piano keyboard. 
She wrote the fingering down on the sheet of music, and my job was to take the sheet of music home and practice the fingering correctly for an hour a day. Seven hours of practice per week will allow you to build the muscle memory that you need to remember how to play the piece of music. Seven hours of practice for 30 minutes, uh, for every 30 minutes of lessons weekly over 14 years will make you a trained concert pianist. However, when I go to dance class, they don't have dance sheets like the piano teacher has sheet music. The teacher shows you the steps, then you have to learn the steps and build the muscle memory by practice, but they don't give you anything like sheet music to record the step. Being trained in music, but not in dance, even the basic steps were difficult for me first to learn and then to remember. How could I learn to dance without a document to which I could refer to tell me what to practice? Well, I could have easily complained about my inability to remember that which we learned in dance class without some kind of document to which I could refer, but I was blessed to have a wife that developed a solution to my problem. She bought a digital single reflex lens camera that had the interesting feature of being able to record video onto a secure digital flash memory card. So when we went to class, we would record the steps on her digital video camera, bring the video home, and transfer it to our computers. I could then use the video in the way that I used the sheet music to practice the steps. My point is that complaining to my wife that I couldn't learn how to dance because the dance teaching was inadequate and I couldn't remember the steps without some type of document would have been unproductive, but my complaint would have given me a reason to not learn how to dance. Complaining would have kept me from going through the painful, embarrassing process of messing up in front of a crowd, and it would also have kept me from overcoming my embarrassment, figuring out how to learn the steps, becoming a pretty good dancer, and then enjoying the wonderful times that my wife have had traveling together to be with the dance crowd. Working together as husband and wife to figure out a solution to a problem is always better than complaining about it and brings our relationships closer rather than driving us farther apart. Marie wanted to take up dancing. My being embarrassed about not knowing how would, would not have kept her from doing so, but simply encouraged her to do so with someone else rather than me. Now, the premise of marriage is analogous to the premise of Christianity. John 14 26 tells us, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So just as Christianity exists so that we can receive help from the Holy Spirit, marriage exists because we need one another for comfort, for support, and for help. In Genesis 2, 18 and 24, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God designed marriage so that we could help one another and become as one. Satan introduced complaining so that we could drive one another crazy 
change the oneness that God planned to us to for us to an adversarial relationship and become separated and divorced. Proverbs 12, 17 and 1 tells us, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. And Proverbs 21 and 9 tells us, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Women, however, do not have a corner on being contentious. The scribes and the Pharisees that were complaining about Jesus and developed a contentious adversarial relationship with him were men. But the point is that complaining, contentiousness, lack of cooperation, and creating an adversarial relationship between husband and wife in the home does not make the home warmer, but leads to our dissatisfaction with one another, our separation from one another, and possibly eventually our divorce from one another. Carrie and Eric met with their marriage counselor. They've been married a year, and they have a four-day-old baby. Carrie started the conversation. She said, I know I'm going through a little bit of depression, but yesterday we were out taking the baby to his first doctor's appointment. After the appointment, I wanted to go to Target to pick up some things for the baby, but my husband wanted to go and drop off some things from one of his clients first, and he wanted to bring us home so that we wouldn't have to stay in the car too long. So I agreed with him and came home. But when he came home from dropping off the things, he decided that it was too cold and too dark to take the baby back out. So when he said that he didn't think we should go back out with the baby, I just started crying. The counselor responded, let me understand you. You're going to take a three-day-old baby into a department store? No, Carrie exclaimed. My husband and the baby were going to stay in the car while I went into the store to pick up some things. The counselor asked, to get what? Carrie said, well, to get some personal items that we needed and to get the baby some socks and things because his feet are so big that they can't fit into his socks. We needed some bigger socks for him, and I wanted to get a couple of other things, but I wasn't crying because I wanted to go that bad, and at that point I understood his logic. It was dark and cold outside. So the counselor interrupted, Carrie, why don't you just make a little shopping list and give it to your husband? He can go to the store and you can be at home with the baby. Kerry replied, it's not that simple. This is an ongoing thing. I get stuck in the house, not just on this particular occasion, because I'm expecting to be stuck in the house for a while. But even prior to this, I've been stuck in the house on a Saturday because he has to run and go and take care of some business that ends up taking six hours. The counselor replied, okay, Kerry, take a breath and stop talking for a minute. Everything that you are complaining about with Eric has to do with him working. Do you realize that whenever you are talking about being stuck in the house, he is stuck out of the house? You're both stuck doing the things that you have to do because when you get married and have children, it's no longer about yourself anymore. Now it's about the situation you've created. So yeah, for a while, you're stuck in the house. And for a while, he's stuck delivering things and doing whatever else he has to do to earn the money so that you can be at home with your kid. Don't measure them against each other as though having to go out to work all the time is so terrific. You had 25 years of being unstuck. Now it's different for a while. 
By the same token, I would not want Eric to come home and complain about the traffic, about how hard he has to work, and about how you don't have the house completely in order. In order. And Eric interjected, yes, and sometimes when I come home, the house is not in order. That does happen. The counselor replied, of course it does. But Eric, don't talk. Talking is your problem. And talking is Carrie's problem because when the two of you talk, you talk about the complaints that you each have about the other. And when you complain, you are only thinking about yourselves and how you can get the other person to satisfy you. Change that complaining behavior and your marriage will improve so fast that it will seem like a miracle. Here is the key. Stop complaining. The minute you get irritated, the minute that Carrie does something that irritates you, stop and think of how you can make life better for her. Carrie, the minute that Eric does something that irritates you, stop and think of how you can make life better for him. No more complaining. As each of you go through your day, spend it thinking of how you can make life wonderful for your spouse. That is the miracle of a good marriage. That is a marriage that is going to last. That is a marriage in which your child is going to flourish, in which your child is going to feel loved, in which your child is going to grow up secure. That is a marriage in which you will wake up every day happy that you are married to each other. Now I want you to think for a moment and then tell me what you are going to do to make life better for your spouse today. Eric, it's your turn first. Decide what you're going to do to make Carrie's life better today. Let me know when you have decided. Eric started to speak. Okay, I'm going to, but the counselor cut him off saying, just a minute. Before you tell me, I want you to think about the last time Carrie irritated you. Don't tell me about it. Just think about the feeling that you had when she did what she did. I want you to feel irritated toward Carrie. Take a minute. Once you feel the feeling that you had that day, tell me what you are going to do to make her life better. Do you feel irritated Yes. yet? Eric replied, yeah, I remember what she did. The counselor responded, okay, what are you going to do? Eric said, I'm going to be more sensitive to the different feelings that she's having and the changes that she's going through now that she has the baby. The counselor said, that's good. Is Carrie a good mommy? Eric said, yes. The counselor asked, have you told her how good she is with the baby? Eric confessed, no, I haven't told her that yet. The counselor offered, well, why don't you tell her right now? Go ahead, she needs to hear it. Eric spoke to Carrie. Carrie, you're really good with the baby, and I appreciate the fact that you have given him a lot of quality time. Carrie responded, thank you. The counselor asked, Eric, how does it make you feel to see your woman feeding your baby, holding your baby, taking care of your baby? Eric responded, it makes me feel good. The counselor said, Carrie needs to know that. You have to let her know that she's making you feel good by taking care of your baby. She needs that. She needs the feedback because if you look at her situation, she's drained. This baby came out of her and took a lot with it. You need to fill her back up again, not with sandwiches, but with love. The baby is wonderful, but he can't do the job like you can. She needs your emotional strength and your approval to rely on 
because although the baby is adorable, the baby can't tell her how grateful he is for her care. You have to do that. When you look at her and think about how cute and adorable that the two of them are together, how sweet she is to the baby, you have to let her know how wonderful it is for you to have her taking care of your baby and how much you love her for doing it. And you need to say it out loud. That's what Carrie needs to hear rather than complaints and arguments. Eric responded, okay, I will. The counselor then moved on to Carrie saying, okay, Carrie, I want you to get real annoyed with Eric, which should not be much of a problem for you because you are still hormonal. Don't tell me why you're annoyed, but tell me when you, get to, when you are really feeling upset. You don't have to tell me why, because I want you to understand that you don't have to talk about every feeling that you have. Feelings aren't facts, and you can have feelings that you should not act on or speak about. Both of you need to understand that every time you're annoyed about something, you don't have to move your lips about it, and you can move on without the complaining. Okay, now that you're annoyed, what are you going to do to make life, Eric's life more wonderful today? Kerry responded, I can praise him a little more, or praise him, period, when he does stuff to help around the house, and when he brings me dinner, or just things to help me, relieve me. The conference said, that's right, very good. Eric interjected, did you hear her? I bring her dinner. The counselor laughed. I like that. That's sweet. Carrie said, but I still have a question about, and the counselor cut her off saying, no, Carrie, you don't have a question. The problem that you thought you had a question about really doesn't matter. That's the point that I am making. You can always complain to and about one another about something. You can be real good at complaining, but it makes you real bad at lovemaking. And a marriage is about a lot of lovemaking. Some of it takes place in bed. Some of it place, takes place during the day as you show your spouse your love whenever you interact with him or her. So you didn't get to Target and you didn't get out of the house. But he didn't get to spend all day in the nice warm house playing with a cute baby. But when he came home, he brought you dinner. Come on. The point of this whole exercise is for you to stop thinking about what this marriage can do for you, but rather think about what you can do for it. If the two of you are more giving, then each of you will be more forgiving of momentary glitches. Love him and praise him for what he does rather than complaining about what you don't have. Do you get it, Carrie? Carrie responded, yeah, I get it. The counselor said, good woman. Now, no more complaining, either of you, but think about what you can do for each other. Our text, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, tells us, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Every day, 
when you get up in the morning, you should begin thinking about how you can make your spouse's life worth living. Not about what you want or what you feel, but what you can do for them to make them feel differently than live in the house full of feasting, but with strife. Husbands and wives don't participate in marital relations with one another because one or the other doesn't feel like it, but just think about the analogy that I gave earlier of ballroom dancing. Just because I don't want to go through the embarrassment of learning a new skill does not mean that my wife won't participate. It just means that she will participate with someone other than me. And I have to ask myself, is that what I really want? I have learned that marriage is a wonderful, fulfilling relationship if I can put aside selfish ambition and conceit and look out for my wife's interests, which may not be the same as mine, as well as my own. God designed each spouse differently, to have different interests, to have different desires, to have different needs, so that we can give ourselves to one another, so that we can fulfill one another emotionally, so that we can have an exclusive soulmate with whom we can share life, so that we will never, ex so we can have, we would never experience the feeling of being lonely, being isolated, being disconnected. And I believe that it is only through our marital relationships that we can experience the true glory that God has for us the glory that Jesus felt when he gave himself for us completely, even to the point of death on the cross. And then early on that Sunday morning, rose from the dead physically with all power in heaven and earth in his hand. Let us change our thinking and let us use our marriages as a sacrificial relationship, not to complain about one another, but to give ourselves fully for one another so that we can experience the ecstasy that Jesus has in store for us, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you today for this lesson, and we ask you, Lord, that you would make our homes a place of peace and a place of prayer. Help us, Lord, to complement one another. Help us, Lord, to look for the good in one another and choose that as our topic of conversation rather than looking at our shortcomings and focusing on them. And help us, Lord, to build up one another, to put ourselves out to do what the other one wants to do sometimes. Help us, Lord, to 
to be the kind of spouse that you talk about in your word, not, not filled with selfish ambition and conceit, but in honoring, honoring others better than ourselves. Let the mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today, and we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us another chance to come out to the house of prayer and another lively discussion. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would help uh, help us in our familial relationships and our marriages. And just as we go down from this place, Lord, we ask you that you would allow us to utilize the principles uh, about which we have spoken and uh, help us to, to love one another. As you have loved us, we know that we must love one another because by this all men will know that we are your disciples if we have love for one another. And we're praying for Dr. Allen and those whom he's asked us to pray for, and we're praying also for Sister Allen. We're asking you that you would continue to uh, uh, allow her father to progress as he is recovering from uh, a diabetic attack, helping to get his sugar regulated so that uh, he can be consistently well and we just thank you for the progress that he's made we're praying uh, for Takika and uh, she's here today and we're asking you that you continue to allow her to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ bless her situation and allow her to uh, come to a to a good end in it Lord and we just ask you that uh, we just thank you that she's here today we pray for her husband in his case and ask him that ask you that you'd bless him and bring him back safely and swiftly also praying for the store Asking you that you would uh, continue to uh, sustain them on that corner, increase their customer base, and just allow things to go well for them. And we want to thank you for that as well. Praying for my wife, Lord, asking you that uh, that you continue to go with us, uh, continue to go with our son. We ask you, Lord, that uh, you would keep him as he is uh, up in Auburn Hills and taking care of business. We ask you, Lord, that you allow him to do well in the business. Uh, give him the technical skill that he needs to continue to complete his projects. Give him the managerial skill that he needs as he supervises those who are under his uh, temporal control. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd allow the company to do well, that they might be able to continue uh, his remuneration in that case. And we want to thank you uh, for his situation as well. Still in prayer for the, for the Wills family, asking you that you bless them, uh, allow them to recover from their bereavement. We just ask you, Lord, that uh, you allow those who are closest to Brother Wills to be comforted uh, by the family and by the friends that have sent cards and done things to give them a condolence. Just go with them and stand by them. Continuing in prayer for Mother Bursa and her dementia, and we ask you that you continue to bless her, and we thank you that Mother Jones is doing better, and we ask you to continue to bring her back to health, and we thank you for that as well. Now, Lord, we're praying, uh, as we have already prayed for those who Paul is concerned about, we're asking that you bless Eric and Amanda as they're coming to the end of the term of that child. Allow the child to be born healthy, allow him to be 
uh, a great uh, blessing to the two of them and allow their marriage to stay strong and keep them close together as they've just taken on this 20-year project to raise this uh, child that is coming. Uh, bless them in all that they do. Now, Lord, we're praying for Brother Edwards and his family continue to bless them and that those fellas that go to school, let's just give them the mind that they need to uh, learn all the information that they're supposed to. And then we ask you that you give uh, Brother Edwards traveling mercies on the road as he travels back and forth to Grand Rapids in this inclement weather. We just ask you, Lord, that you keep him safe on the road. Pray for his wife as well, allow her to enjoy her days and uh, get acclimated to her new occupation as well. Pray for the Lees as well, Lord. We ask you that you bless Brother and Sister Lee and just bind them together with cords of love that cannot be broken. We're praying, we're thanking you, Lord, that Cedric did well on his test, and we're asking you, Lord, that you continue to give him that steel trap mind, that he'll be able to remember all those things that he learned in class so that when test time comes, he can put down the correct answer and come up with the right uh, solution to all the problems and thus prepare himself for the next level academically and make his parents proud as well. We're praying uh, for Tammy over at the Kent Cleaners, and we're asking you, Lord, that uh, you would continue to uh, bless her in her situation. Uh, you know that uh, sometimes she, uh, we're not ready to do the things that we want to do, and we ask you, Lord, that you would allow her to recover uh, from her situation and to uh, regain uh, ownership in that uh, enterprise uh, speedily. Also praying Brother Alan Grace, uh, who's uh, been diagnosed with cancer and is undergoing the treatments that the doctors have given him. And we ask you, Lord, that you would make the treatments effective and that you would let down the hem of your garment because we know that you have the power that it, he could be healed even without any treatments. But we ask you, Lord, that you would go in that sick room and just be a doctor in there and give the doctors who are there uh, the wisdom that they need to prescribe the right things to bring him back uh, to full health, and we thank you for it. Continue to bless all that Sister Lee and Brother Lee are asking us to pray for today. Praying for the McClure's as well. We ask you that you bless their children who are away at college. And we ask you that you would give those young people focus and allow them to uh, concentrate and to learn and to uh, take those things that they're learning in that situation and uh, remember them well so that when the time for the final exam comes, that they'll be able to acquit themselves profitably. And we just ask you, Lord, that you go with them and keep them safe. Allow uh, no danger to befall them. Keep them on the straight and narrow. We just ask you, Lord, that you safeguard them in that academic institution against all of the evil influences that might be there. We thank you for that as well. Continuing in prayer for Veronica Olney's family. And we're asking you that you bless them as well. We just ask you to bless Brother and Sister McClure. We thank you for their attendance today and for their participation. Praying, Lord, for Dad, asking you that you continue to allow him to recover from his first surgery and uh, that you prepare his mind for the second one that's coming in March. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you just make it possible. Let the weather be uh, pleasant that week, that I might be able to go down there and take care of that situation as well with him. Just uh, give the doctors a routine day that day. Let nothing out of the ordinary happen. Let nothing unforeseen happen. Just let it be a routine operation as it was the last time that he might be restored to his full vision and enjoy those days that he has. Praying for the rest of the elders in our family, and we ask that you bless them all uh, and allow them to enjoy this time. Praying especially for Uncle James and Aunt Barbara. 
uh, just bless her as she is going through the early stages of Alzheimer's and just keep her to give her the peace of mind just give her peace and allow them to coexist peacefully as she goes through this trial we just ask you Lord that you relieve her of it and allow those brain uh, sinews to function of synapses to function once again that she might be restored to uh, her right mind and we're praying for Aunt Naomi and Uncle Jab and Aunt Elizabeth and all the rest of them down there we just ask you to bless them for Brother Northern and Brother Perkins bless them as well we ask you Lord that you bless all that are over in Iraq uh, Rick and Grumalots and Cody, we just ask you that you give them safeguards from the from the possibility of harm. Uh, they're in harm's way, but we know that you have a shield that cannot be penetrated by the by the uh, influences of man. And we ask you that you wrap that shield around them, that they might be able to come back safely to their families at the conclusion of their tour. Well, now, Lord, we thank you for this place that you've given us here, for the word and for our application of it. And help us, to, help us to apply it to our lives that we might live lives that are pleasing in your sight. And Lord, I pray for my wife who's the love of my life. Bless her and keep us as a strong and solid unit and allow us to enjoy these days that we have. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Jesus Christ died on the old rugged cross. He gave himself voluntarily and willingly as a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He shed his blood and they broke his body so that the sins that we have committed could be forgiven. And we ought to emulate his example and give ourselves for one another and forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us. So as we go down from this place, let us remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. And I may mean, the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest with and abide with us now, henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.